0: Father, this morning we come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. The last two days, oh Father, this ninth month, our eyes are on you. All around the world, Lord, your people are waiting and watching, believing the one who promised is faithful, forever faithful. Amen. It is your faithfulness, Lord, that keeps us. Even this morning, you were faithful, and your mercies were new this morning. You were faithful, and we could come to you, Lord, without fear. You were faithful that you imparted grace upon us, Lord. and Upon that grace, we stand this morning. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you, Lord, thank you. We just thank you, we just thank you. Now as we look into your word, it will continue to comfort us, continue to strengthen us, continue to work in us patience and endurance as we wait for the appearing of the Lord, our Father. The greatest event left, Lord, when you come for your bride. Speak to us this morning, for in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. amen. We go back to the fifth church, Sardis chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. We'll just stop there today. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so to this church, you know, that has a good reputation. But reality is different from reputation. In verse 2, he says, "You remember, he uses that two words. One is death and the second thing that are ready to die. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And The way out is he gives us that way out. That is wake up. Wake up. Okay. In Revelation 1 and verse 18 we saw Jesus has the power. I am he who lives and was dead behold I am alive forevermore for the, the first chapter introduction gives hope to all the seven churches okay to five churches he gives them the command to repent and to this fifth church he says you have a reputation you are alive but you are dead but remember he too was once dead okay right. once he was dead but I am he who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. Okay, evermore. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and then verse 4 to 5, remember that so we were all. You he made alive who were dead. That was who we were. We were all dead in our trespasses and he made us alive. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? So this is where our hope comes from. Okay? Otherwise, what's the point in writing to somebody who is dead? You are dead? (laughs) Buried? (laughs) That's not what he says. You have a reputation. You are dead. Okay? But who is the one who is writing? The one who was dead and is alive and lives forevermore. Right? If you turn with me to Mark chapter 5. 23 onwards to 26. Hmm? Okay. Now this is talking about Jairus. You can go to 22 actually. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came Jairus by name and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly say, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live." So, Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So, you have two case scenarios here. Okay? One is 12 years old, a child. The other is probably a much older person who has an issue for 12 years and Both of them are actually dying. Both of them are actually dying. And the solution for both is the same. In the first case, the father of the young one who is dying comes and falls at Jesus' feet and says, Would you please come? Lay your hands upon my child that she may love. In the second case, you will see in verse 27 and 28, she cannot go to him because of her. The nature of her illness and all the block she has because of the law. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment saying, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So the solution is given. The solution is Jesus. Okay, the solution. There's no solution to death other than Jesus. There's no solution. The only solution to death is Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, he tells us why he is the solution in any situation in any life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Okay. If you look at verse 25 and 26, Jesus is pointing to two scenarios. He doesn't say, I am the life and the resurrection. He says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, because that is what we need. We need because death is the end of everything. As far as humanity is concerned, death is the end of everything. So when you are facing death, you need resurrection. So he comes and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he says, he who believes in me, though he may die. Okay, shall love. Now he's talking about somebody who dies. Somebody who is dead. He's talking here, context-wise, he's talking about Lazarus. He believed in me and he died. But he shall live. In the second case, he's talking about somebody who believes. Okay? Now he's not talking about death, he believes in me. Okay, he says, shall never die. Shall never die. Shall never die okay so he's talking about somebody one who is dead and somebody who is living he says either way you don't have to worry if you are dead you will live if you are living you will not die okay so 25 26 is handling two different scenarios okay because people are afraid of those of death or those who are dead he says don't worry i am the resurrection and those who are living he says don't worry also you will never die Okay, so this is Jesus who is coming because we need to realize for every scenario we need a solution and the answer for God to every scenario, every problem is this, is Jesus. Jesus is God's answer. Okay, Jesus is God's answer because for mankind the worst case scenario is death. Is death. Okay, and that's why there's only one grave that is empty. Okay, there's only one grave that is empty. Okay, so ultimately you have to look to somebody who has come back from the dead. Okay, come back from the dead and listen to him. So God's solution, we go to verse 3. Verse 3, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Meaning, remember, go back. Remember, go back. Okay, so like to Ephesus, he says, remember from where you have fallen. To Sardis, he says, remember, go back, go back to the fundamentals, okay? Like in engineering, they say, going back to the drawing board. Go back to the drawing board, okay? Go back to the foundations. Where did I go wrong? Go back, okay? Go back, okay? And always you will see, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Going back is always Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. The fundamentals of faith are put there of which the most important is 1 and 2. While you are living, 1 and 2 is the most important. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ. The doctrine is the doctrine of Christ, of which fundamental elementary principles are there. What is that? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. This is what is the constant. All the others are one time or sometimes. Baptism is one time okay laying of hands maybe few times resurrection of the dead is one time eternal judgment is one time but what is constant till the day you live is repentance and faith towards god this is the constant and that is exactly what he is telling them go back remember remember okay and this is because people need to realize this is fundamental issue which you are facing even in our church with certain people the thing is that You cannot change where you began. Salvation is by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And it is the righteousness that comes by faith alone. You cannot add works to that. Cannot add works to that. If you add works to death, one of the two things will happen. Either condemnation will come as you fail. Or pride will come as you succeed. You cannot add to that. And this is the fundamental issues. People are struggling in the church because of whatever they are going through. And the first thing they start questioning is their salvation. Questioning their salvation. They start questioning their salvation. Okay, Now this is what is happening. And this is where we have to be very, very careful. Because the thing is that your salvation is based only where you have repented from dead works, meaning putting trust in every work. Every work. Okay, putting trust in every work. And trusting in Christ alone. That is where it comes. Okay. So if you go back, Revelation 3-3, okay. Okay. We will go back and God is saying, okay, now, Two things you have to remember. The first thing in this case, okay? Because this church doesn't seem to have a doctrinal problem. Because if you look at this, note, it's not a decorent problem. So we need to really go through with a microscope to find what is their actual problem, okay? So first thing God is asking them to remember is not what they heard, is how they heard. Okay, it's not what they heard. Okay. Sometimes what we heard is right. And we are still hearing right. But the problem is how we heard in the beginning is no longer there. Okay, now let's look into how Paul commends the church in Thessalonica. 1st Thessalonians chapter 1, 6 and 7. Okay. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia, Achaia, who believe. So God says, remember the church, okay, you did not receive the word in easy times. You received the word in very difficult times. In very difficult time, you received with great joy. It was a joy of the spirit. It was not a human thing. It was impossible for humanly to rejoice in the midst of affliction. So how did they receive? They had received with great joy. Okay. Now if you go to James chapter 1 and verse 21, another way of receiving. Okay. James 1 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So, how did James saying? How did you? How do should we receive the word of God with meekness? So, there are different ways in which to receive the word. Okay, now if you go to it is Second Corinthians, right? When that church repented, from godly sorrow, yes, seven. Okay, it's not seven, ten, the one I want to look at is the words, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, words eleven. Okay. Okay. For I observe this very thing that is sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you? What is, what, what produced that diligence? The word, the letter. Paul sent a letter. First Corinthians, that epistle they received. How did they receive it? With diligence. With diligence. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. Okay. So God is talking about different ways. If you go through the word of God, you will see different ways in which people have received the word of God. Not what they have received. But how? So first he's talking about, you know what? You church in Sardis, you started very well. And you started very right. How you received and what you heard was right. Now just go back to it. Just go back to it. Another place is in Acts chapter 17, verse 10 and 11, where Paul talks about Bereans being even more noble than the Thessalonians. Thessalonians received with great joy in the midst of affliction. But when they came to Berea, what is verse 11? These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. What is that? In that, they received the word with all readiness and research the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So, if you were to put Thessalonica and Beria together, it's a fantastic combination. With joy, with readiness, and with due diligence searching the scriptures. How you receive the word of God. So, the first thing he's telling the church in, in Sardis is, go back do you remember how you received do you ba- do you re- remember how you received second thing what you re- heard okay so there like i said if you go to first peter chapter 2 and verse 2 as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby okay so there is something which we have to be very careful about, okay? Like one is that other translation will use the word sincere. That's okay, it's okay. Okay? The sincere, pure milk of the word. Later it will talk about the meat of the word. So meaning, what do you hear, no not how you hear, what do you hear, whether it is milk or meat should be pure. Unadulterated. It is not mixed with things of the world. Things of the world. What you hear, you have to be very careful. So he's saying is, go back. Go back. Unfortunately, like I said, uh, Sardis is only mentioned one, if I'm right, in the book of Acts, of Lydia being from Sardis. We don't have any account of anybody going to Sardis like in Ephesus. Ephesus is like this, This. The fantastic church, if you read the book of Acts. Therefore, the letter to Ephesus is a different category altogether. Because he really sat there and taught them for three years, so you could write a letter like that to them. He didn't write a letter like that to any of the other churches. So Ephesus was a different. But sad is we don't have an account. But from Jesus' account, we know it was a church, one, how they heard and what they heard. What they heard was pure. What they heard was pure. It was right doctrine. There was no issue of false doctrine over here. Apparently, they seems otherwise would have said, uh, I dislike the doctrine of Balam you have, or the Nicolaitans, or the teaching like Jezebel's teaching. or He's not talking about any of those things over there. So he says, Go back and receive it. Have you heard? And what you heard? And he says, Remember, Okay, remember, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 2, and we will read from verse 2. Okay, remember, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not so. Now God is talking about Israel. I don't know which generation is talking about. I think he's actually talking about the second generation, both in the wilderness and in the land. He says, I remember your youth. I remember your youth. What was that? The kindness of your youth. The love of your betrothed. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, at that time, you know what it was? Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase. Okay. And God was watching over them to see nothing. Okay. So God is saying, do you remember? Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember? He says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. So Israel has a testimony. There was a generation that was after. Like if you were talking about individuals, whether it was Israel or Judah, you always had a reference point. Do you remember David? Do you remember his passion for me? His zeal for me? Okay. So the diagnosis is God is saying, I don't want religion. Like today, if you read the morning devotion, this is a very severe indictment. I don't want your sacrifices. Don't want your sacrifice. I am looking for a a relationship. And if you are not interested in a relationship, you have a very correct format of religion, I am not interested. I am not interested. So you will see their two sins of that church is in verse 13, of Israel is in verse 13. My people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me. That is the first thing. You have forsaken me, the person. The Fountain of Living Waters. Whenever you talk about living, it is talking about where there is life, where there is an ongoing relationship. There is life. Living Waters. Me, the Fountain of Living Waters, and in themselves cistern, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you look at Israel, outward religion is there. Very powerful. Very strong. Still continuing. But it has no living relationship. This is the danger. This is the danger in any relationship, whether it is human or whether it is with God. Okay? Your marriage can become a religion because religion has its tenets. You just follow it. And when you are questioned, you will say, but don't I do all these things? Okay? So if you question somebody with with Jesus, they will say, but I do all the things. I pray, I fast, I give my tithes. Isn't that what the Pharisees said? I do all these things, and everything you did was right. There was nothing wrong in that. Okay. okay, so in this thing also, in marriage also, and in um, because we only have to look at two two relationship primarily, okay, with God and with man. In marriage, or if you have children with parents, family. We look at the family. If the family goes right, everything goes falls into place. But if family goes wrong, everything falls, because that's a basic unit. So if you look at over there, what God is saying is that you can have religion in the family too. You can religion with God too. And God says, you know what? I'm not interested. Because that's not how you began. That's not how you began. That is not how you began. That's not how you began. He says, you need to do what? The solution. You need to turn around. You need to turn around. So when, if God says somebody, if you go back to verse 3, if God begs, remember when God says something. Okay? Verse 3. What you need to do is that, you know what? You need to Repent. You need to repent. Whenever God says somebody to repent, it's a very comforting word. Because He gives you the power to repent. He gives you the gift of repentance. God will never ask you to do something which He doesn't give you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. okay. Okay. Because when he says, even if these three men, remember, even if these three men were to stand and say, I'm not going to give them the gift of repentance. They can't turn back because I'm done with them. I'm done with them. So the intercession of the most powerful men is also not going to make any difference. So to every one of these five churches to whom God says, repent. Okay. It's a very comforting thing. What he's saying, well, mercy is still available. I will still give you. The, still give you the, the power to turn. Okay? Power to turn. So, but the problem is, we can't go over sadness without identifying what is the problem. What is the problem? Because if you, if your God asks you to repent, then you need to ask what should I repent from? What should I repent from? And it doesn't seems to be very clear what I need to, because we are not talking about Sardis which existed 2000 years ago. We are trying to say, what is God trying to tell me? Am I this? Okay, let's go to verse 4. Okay, there seems to be only one clue over there. You have a few names even in Sardis. So there are a few people in Sardis like in every one of the other churches, with whom God has no issue. Now, why is it that he has no issues who have not defiled their garments? So, you get a clue over there. That means the rest have defiled their garments. So, first possibility, James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, if you uh, if you listen to teachers and Derek Prince and all, God hates religion. The Bible doesn't talk about religion at all. The first time religion is mentioned in the Bible is in James chapter one twenty seven. God hates religion. He hates religion. He doesn't use the word religion at all in the Bible. One time he uses the word, you have to go through all of Old Testament, come to the end of the Bible to find, this is, if you want to talk about religion, this is real. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. What is it? Visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Not visit orphans and widows. No. Those who are afflicted. All orphans are not uh you don't have to visit me. I'm an orphan. My father and mother are dead. You don't have to visit me. I'm not afflicted. I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> oh, I heard this place. Everybody comes now visiting me. Pastor, we heard this is pure religion, and we know you are a you are an orphan. I want to visit you. I'll say, No, way. I'll say you go visit somebody who is afflicted. Truly, truly afflicted, okay, to visit. Okay. And then when you come, because we see we have to read scripture carefully. Otherwise, you will just wait our time and the resources, money, and all. Okay? And the second part, to keep one unspotted or undefiled from the world. So, the first possibility with Sardis is worldliness has slowly crept into the church. And worldliness always will kill godliness. You don't have to be sinning. You don't have to be sinning. You don't have to be sinning. But it will kill your passion for Christ, your passion for his second coming. Because there is no rich man usually who is waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Unless he has got a disease which is life-threatening. Remember, I didn't say that Jesus said, Jesus called the rich man, you fool. What blinded him to that reality was his riches. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and he died. Why was he unprepared? Because he looked at everything and he was not thinking about eternity can be postponed because everything seems to be good. I don't have to leave this and go there because everything is okay with me. And the other guy whose harvests was so great so he wanted to buy more companies, build more. No, So these people are not thinking about eternity. So worldliness... It's a very very day. If if we have proof of it, go to Second Peter chapter two verses seven and eight, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their losslessly. The simple thing is, why do you have to see this? Why do you have to hear this? Why can't you pack and leave, but you won't leave? Okay? Simple question. Why don't you pack up and leave? Why do angels have to come on the last day and drag you out of the city? Why is that you couldn't leave? But the Bible says twice is a righteous man. Okay. That righteous Lord. Delivered righteous Lord. For that righteous man. So the issue here is so he's a righteous man. He's a righteous man. Okay. He has not defiled himself. But he is not able to leave to He's not able to leave too. He's not able to. Leave too. He's stuck Like, you know, in India and other countries, how they cast the monkey. It's very simple. They get this heavy metal jar with a narrow nose, you know, mouth. And what does it do? They put a banana in it and leave it there in the jungle. The monkey comes and puts his hand in. He's able to put his hand in. But once he holds the banana, he can't let go of it. Now he's trying to run with the jar. The jar is very heavy. And the trapper comes and traps him. Okay. That is what happened to Lot. He looked. Okay, he looked and he saw the glitter and the glamour. But the Bible says very clearly over there about you look over there very clearly when he is making his choice in chapter fourteen. It tells you know in chapter fourteen. oh sorry, chapter thirteen. Yeah, it says, uh, verse thirteen, thirteen. it tells very clearly. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So when he was looking, when he was later camping near, and when he went inside, the people were already already the same. Already the same. So the question is, then why did you go there? You are not on mission. You're not trying to save anybody because you didn't save anybody. There's a difference of being not part of the world and being sent into the world. You were not sent. You just went. (laughs) You were not sent. You just went. Okay. So this is the problem. Okay, if you were sent, then you like John the Baptist, you can stay there and the world doesn't affect you. Or you are like Jesus, you can walk and be called the friend of sinners and publicans and heartlets, but they don't affect you, truth, you affect them, they are repenting. Why are the publicans and the heartlets entering into the kingdom of God? It is the effect of Jesus. Why are everyone coming and repenting and changing? It is the effect of John's word. And they are right there in the in the world. But the world is not t- touching them at all. But they are impacting the world. So children of God has to think that way. You are sent into the world. You have to be very careful you are sent into the world. But when you are sent into the world, are you impacting the world or not? Or is the world impacting you? It's a simple question. What happened to Lot was that Lot is fighting every day. The daily fight, what is hearing and what is seeing. But the problem is, how it is impacting his family is a different question altogether. Absolutely altogether. His family literally will be destroyed. Destroyed. You know why his family was destroyed? Because he was not sent. He was not sent. If he had been sent, his family would not have been destroyed. Family would not have been destroyed. If he had been sent, his family would not have been destroyed. Abraham's family was not destroyed. They are still there. Still there. Because whenever Abraham moved, it was because God said, and the first thing he will always do, he will build an altar. And the altar is a symbol of something that is eternal. Eternal. Well, world is a symbol of something that is temporal. So the altar always defined how you are going to live in this world. So his children always saw this. Lord's children never saw anything. Lord's children never saw the father preparing for eternity. Never saw that. See, you cannot stop children from going into the world. You cannot stop them. But when they go into the world, one day for them to come back, they must have seen something that was permanent, eternal in their lives. That is why we are hearing the call of the fathers to build the altars. Okay, so like I said, the whole issue is absentee fathers. Absentee fathers. Or fathers who are present, but who do not have an altar. Or do not have an altar. So Abraham was a man who failed. Isaac was a man who failed. Jacob was a man who failed. David was a man who failed. Moses was a man who failed. But if you look at all of them, they were altar builders. Altar builders. Because there is no person except Jesus who has not failed. Jesus is the only man who has not failed. So all men are men who have failed. But what is the difference between all men and them? There are people who build altars. So they could always go back to the altar. And therefore their children could always know that our God is a God of mercy. So mercy. We can come back. We can come back. Oh God. That's where the prodigal son is able to come back. He's able to come back. Why is he able to come back? Because he remembers his father. In my father's house, he's a man of mercy. How can you be a man of mercy if you do not serve a God who is a God of mercy? The question is, have the children seen that? So here is the first thing. The first possibility is that, you know what, they have not defiled their garments. Means the other group have defiled their garments. What has crept in? Worldliness has crept in. Okay, so what destroyed Lord's household, it was worldliness. Okay, or second reason, it could be actually sin or iniquity. It could be actually sin. Go to Zechariah chapter 1 to 3 and then 4 and 5. (laughs) Chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. That was the problem. Why is Satan? Joshua is symbolic of Israel there, the high priest. He represents, okay. Now, the high priest who is supposed to intercede on the Day of Atonement is covered with filthy garments. And therefore, Satan is able to accuse him before. Okay. And God rebukes Satan by saying, The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He says, I understand his condition. He was about to be destroyed, but I have just pulled him out of the fire. And Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And in verse 4, he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And then he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. So their issue could be sin or iniquity, whichever way you want to look at it. Because even Joshua is standing over there. His clothes are soiled, His clothes are dirty. Even the high priest's clothes are So what can you do? The solution again is that go back to God. God is the only one. See, when the prodigal son came back, he was practically dirty, filthy. He had come from the pig's pen. He had nothing left. His clothes must have been tattered and filthy and stingy. And the first thing the father does is put on the best robe. Cover it, Cover him. Okay? Cover him. So, what is the solution? The solution is always the same. Okay? See, i can only repent i cannot clothe myself yeah. exactly. only god can clothe us we cannot clothe ourselves so by when we turn to jesus christ by faith what we receive is the righteousness of god no man can grab it it has to be given that's why god is saying first take it out and then cover it if you go to second peter chapter 2 verse 20 and 23 Okay, now this is talking about, this is because Sardis was once good, now they are soiled, now God is talking about what happens. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow, that's a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Going back. Okay. Now, if you read three one, what is the intention of this letter? What is Peter trying to say? one. He says, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. He says, I'm trying to remind you from where you came and where you have entered. Can you please go back? Go back. Where did you? So everywhere you will see, okay, everywhere. See, if you, if you did not have an experience of salvation There is nothing to remind you about. Yes, yes, There's nothing yes, to yes. remind you about. Okay. so This is being written to people who are saved and who once walked in that zeal and in that fire, in that holiness and God is saying, do you remember where you started? And you've gone back to that like a dog goes back to its vomit. You have gone back. You were saved from all that. So I'm stirring you up because sometimes you need to realize is you no know, Sometimes uh, God uses tough words to stir people up. It's like the football or whatever, soccer, whatever, coach. When the team has lost, he comes and gives to the team left, right, and center. He gives every kind of word he uses. And then first half. Second half, when you go back, they are fighting for their life because they have been stirred up by his words. Okay. (laughs) Coaches are not like that. You have to hear some of their conversation. I think I heard one of those coaches in one of these World Cup footballs, when they came back, he gave it to them. Okay. See, the players on the field and the stadium crowd, the crowd's eyes are on the players, but the players' ears are on the coach. Coach. They are not very much bothered about the crowd because they know when they go back, they will get a mouthful. Because you know the danger of it is the coach is powerful. Even if you are messy, he can bench you. And you cannot question it. Cannot, after the tournament is over, you can have a political meeting and all, but till the tournament is over, he will bench you. Okay, which is true. They're very scared of their coach. They're very, very scared of their coach. So you need to understand sometimes God is the coach. He is, he will bench you. He is very, very serious about all his children finishing his race and finishing well. Okay. He is not interested in our comfort and happiness. Pursuit of happiness in the American Constitution. That is not God's agenda. God's agenda is pursuit of holiness and finish well. Finish well. Because though, even though I am your father, I will still bench you. Okay. I will bench you. Please don't forget the nature of your father. Your father is righteous. On the day of judgment, judgment will be righteous. And don't shed all those tears. It will make no difference at all because my judgment will be final. So God is talking here through Peter. All of these people, no, he he, he will someday. Now when we we are able to see that, okay. So when that coach is shouting at you, or your teacher was shouting at you, know, like you know, I still remember. I know, uh, like, you know, how the teacher deals with the weak students who make mistakes and the good student who makes mistakes are not the same. With the weak one, he will show some compassion and encourage and this thing and all. The good one, he will look and say, were you drunk or what? You are sleeping. Which girl were you thinking of in your writing? His response is completely different. And you are looking at, and next thing he goes to the weak one and he's talking differently. He says, why is he talking to you like that? Why is he talking to me like this? Why is he talking to me like this? Me like this? The reason is, let's see, look at how he talking to Sardis. Sardis says, you have received, I remember how you received the gospel? Okay. I remember how you heard the gospel? I remember, I remember also, we think God forget, God says I don't forget, I know you're deceived. I remember how it was all that, okay. I remember how it all that was, okay. So, it could be worldliness, it could be sin, because they have stained their garments. Or, Galatians 3 and verses 1 to 3. The third and therefore the most dangerous. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? What did happen? They didn't, they went into legalism. The Danger. These are the three dangers we get caught in. Either you are going to become very worldly. You don't sin openly, apparently. You are fighting it in your mind all the time because you are sitting in the bar and trying to save somebody. But you were an alcoholic before. (laughs) The simple question is, why are you inside? Why are you inside over there? This is what your whole life struggle was there and now you are right in the middle of it. Why are you right in the middle of it? Worldliness—that is, Lord. Or second, it is actually sin. It's actually sin. Prodigal son went and blew it all away. Your garments are soiled. Or third case, it is legalism. In Isaiah sixty-four and verse six. Okay, yeah, yo, we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy. Which is this righteousness? These are the works of the law. works of the law. Legalism. It is all of it is like filthy acts. You have soiled yourself by living the walk of the spirit, the walk of faith, and going back to legalism. Okay, back to legalism. So there are three possibilities. How did they soil themselves? It's a simple question. Three possibilities. One is, they went back to, they became worldly. And that is probably the most uh, easy assumption because there seems to be no persecution. Very prosperous city. And after some time, you know, you they become just like uh, everybody else around. And you have plenty of Christians like that. Plenty of Christians like that. You see them, they are just like the others. But they are not bad people. They are not bad people. They're not bad people. But they are not uh, no different from the Hindu or the Muslim. They're just uh, if you want to meet them, go to Kerala. You can meet them anywhere. Just like them. No persecution. They never attacked. They never challenged. No issues at all. They never attack. You no? Know? And I have many in my college group. Okay, college group. This is what God is talking about. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, so what has happened is, the church inside started well and then stopped. It's like the bride who is making her wedding dress, but she stopped. Nothing is is there left. It's incomplete. That's what he says. It is not, I saw your work is not complete. It's not complete. He says, yeah, if your work is not complete. What is a work? You have to finish those works that was prepared for us. Waken up, strengthen what remains about you. For I have not found your deeds. What are these deeds? These are the righteous acts of the saints. It's not complete. You have not finished. We have not finished. So when you put two, three, and four, we get a picture of what is wrong with them. What is wrong with them, no? And this can happen to any one of us, any one of us. I still remember. I remember that uh, sister came to church uh, some time back from Vizag, and uh, I introduced and said, this is Sunita from Vizag, uh, who was my classmate in Iflu. And I still remember, okay, I had come back from Bhutan and I was studying over there no church nothing we all used to have dinner together we all walked the whole class walks together the hostel everybody was in the hostel except for a few and we were talking talking one day she looked at me she looked at me and said james are you a believer and I just (laughs) I said yes what do you do on sundays I said, I sit in my room. You don't go to church? I said, I don't know any church. said, so I'm going to take you to church on this Sunday. Okay. That's how I got back to church. Okay. The question is, are you a believer? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all these things can be there Volliness can be there sin can be there and legalism and legalism is the dangerous the danger let's look at one more portion of legalism and then we will go to prayer matthew twenty three verses twenty seven and twenty eight Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay? Inside reality and outside reality. They were true ones. They were zealous, zealous ones. But now they had, they had fallen away. Worldliness, sin, legalism, or all three—we don't know. But the solution is only this: what is that? Repent. In three, three, God will say, "Okay." Revelation three, three. You have three, 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 three. Therefore, if you will not watch, hold fast. Okay, hold fast. That stuff which you have is still true. Okay, to hold on to that. Don't lose your truth which you received and the zeal, little zeal you still have, that little fire. The fire hasn't fully gone out. You see, remember in the book of Leviticus it was that the fire should never go out. Okay? If Timothy still has some fire. And if you don't have any fire, you cannot stir it back to flames. So there is fire there. They haven't lost the truth, neither have lost their entire zeal. So he says, hold on to it first. First hold on to that. Okay. Then repent and turn. And the word watches awake. Therefore, if you will not watch awake, what will happen? I will come as a thief. That is the most serious part of it. Meaning, you only have a certain amount of time you only have a certain certain if you do not wake up okay you only have a certain amount of time nobody that's that's our main thing we do not have all the time we have we think first corinthians 15:34 is the call remember it's connected with the second coming of jesus christ okay uh, which okay awake to righteousness okay Awake to righteousness. Come back. Wake up back. Come back to your default saved setting. Come back to it. Because you don't have the time as you think. Okay? And that's why we look into Acts chapter 2, 42. These three things are kept there. These three, four things are kept there actually. They continued steadfastly in Apostles' doctrine. And the doctrine is tested up in the relationship. Is the doctrine flowing out in love? Proved in love. Is it working it out? And wherever there is a sin against love, every sin is a sin against love. Please understand. The Ten Commandments is all about love, loving God and loving man. So every sin is, so how do you guard yourself is by loving. Loving. Is by loving. Okay, loving God. And loving man. That's the only way you can guard yourself. Law doesn't protect anybody. Law will only tell you what not to do and the consequences of what happens to you. But it doesn't have the power to stop anybody. The only thing that he can give you power is love. There is no nothing else. There is no power in anything else. There is no power in the will. The will can go whichever way it wants. There is only power in love. So, That is what is being tested over there. There is doctrine and there is fellowship. And fellowship is basically talking about relationship. Okay? And then there will be always issues in relationship because we are in the process of growing, of becoming perfect. There's only one thing God demands being perfect in, is basically in love. Be perfect as your father is in heaven is perfect. What is perfect love? Perfect love is when you are able to love your enemies. That is perfect love. Truly love your enemies and lay down your life for them like Jesus did. That is perfect. He says you can reach them. I am not asking you to be perfect in knowledge, perfect in prophecy, perfect in doctrine. Perfect. He says none of this, no. All that is in part. But you can be perfect in love. Okay. So perfect in love. And the other word he says, he who does not stumble in word. Because love is expressed usually in words. Okay? It's expressed in words. Okay? No, no, not that one. It's not that one. It's three. Yeah, it's okay. Three, two. So, it's words. It's words. Okay? But he's a perfect man, able also to burdle So, what is the simplest way to burdle your tongue? God is not saying, no, don't talk. Jesus, Bible says, the amount of talking Jesus did, books cannot be written. So, Jesus talked a lot. Why is that Jesus talked a lot and there was no deceit in his mouth? Because he loved everyone. He loved everyone. He loved everyone. Therefore, there was no deceit. No deceit in his words. No double meaning, no other motives, no hidden nothing. He just loved everyone. Loved everyone. So what he spoke, he spoke in love. When he said, go tell that fox, it was told in love that if he hears my voice, he will realize. No, see, when the doctor says, you have cancer. Now you don't get mad with the doctor. You want him to be honest. When Jesus is giving a perfect indictment of how you think, it's a warning. He's speaking it in love. He's speaking it in love. He says, you are a fox. And immediately you should Get back to your senses and say, my God, Jesus said, I am a fox. I don't want to be a fox. I don't want to be a fox. Okay? I don't want to be a fox. Okay? So you need to realize that is where we understand. No, what God is talking about, so the solution is that we have only a certain amount of time and God has instituted this within the body of Christ. He says, first practice it within your home, within the body of Christ, these four things. What is that? Doctrine, relationship and when you are in relationship, he said, I have put something over there which is called the Lord's table. This Sunday we are going to have the Lord's table. What is the Lord's table? Therefore, it is basically to judge yourself. Breaking over it, judge yourself. He says, many of you partook of it unworthily. Therefore, many of you are sick, weak and asleep. He said, if you had partaken of it in a worthy manner, judging yourself, you would have been awake. Sad is, you are asleep. Why are you asleep? Because you did not judge yourself. You did not judge yourself. If you had judged yourself, you would have been aware, you would have been conscious, because you are not busy after all these other things. You would be looking at relationships. My relationship is not kosher with God. My relationship is not kosher with men. I don't actually love. I got religion of, oh, I have religion at home, I have religion with God. Because if you were to say that you don't love me, you will immediately point and say, but I do, 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 do do this. But I do all these things for you. But that's not what the question is. Because if God were to ask the Pharisees, you never love me, they would say, but we do. We pray, we fast, we tithe, we go to the you, That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. You cannot substitute religion for relationships. So for what has God put over there, he has put the lord's table okay and then last he has put prayer because he says then your prayers will change the effectiveness of your prayers will become start becoming more and more and more effective okay so this is to what he's calling the church in sardis too okay therefore this is to what he's calling every one of us is come back come back you have you began well You began well. In the, in the case of Ephesus also, it is almost the same. Okay, but in their case, uh, unlike Ephesus, Sardis has soiled. Has soiled. Ephesus hasn't soiled. They haven't soiled. There is no worldliness in them. There is no sin in them. There is no legalism in them. There is no love also in them. So their issue was completely different. Okay, They had no worldliness. They were not worldly. They were very, very sober. Absolutely nothing worldly in our church. They were not sinning. They dealt with sin with an iron hand. Okay, There was no legalism at all. But the problem is, there was no love at all. Their first love has gone. That had gone. So God says, you know what? Go back to it. So when God is putting his priorities, our ears should be open. Because our priorities are not God's priorities. Sometimes our prayers are not answered. We saw that yesterday. You know, yesterday's meeting, it was all about relationship. In Genesis chapter 18, it is not a small thing. Genesis chapter 18 is not a small thing. After the call in Ur, when he must have been around 60-65 years, we don't know. Okay, first time. And then 25 years in the promised land all these different formats of visitations, God is visiting Abraham's house for the first time to have a meal. It's not a small thing that God visits a man. The first time God is visiting a man's house. We don't know how he walked with Enoch. Bible doesn't say. But this is the first time God takes a human form and comes with two angels and visits a man. This is the height of fellowship because the Bible says, Enoch, you at your heart, if you open, I will come and dine with you. So that is the height of a relationship God is. And like I said, relationships are not determined by us, it's determined by God. God, God, You can grow close to God only as much as He allows. I I can fast, I can pray, I can do everything, but if God doesn't draw close to me, there's nothing I can do. It's the same way also at the human level. There's nothing anybody can do to draw close to me if I don't allow them to draw close to me. So you need to realize when it comes to relationship, God has determined certain things. And the entire salvation process is about relationship with God and with one another. And He says after getting a PhD in theology, your relationships are all broken. You haven't even understood the fundamentals of salvation. Fundamentals of salvation. What is salvation about? You are wasting all your time and energy pursuing all these things. Okay? Yet, you have no relationship. But in chapter 18, you see the relationship Abraham has in his household. Like I said, he's running around doing things, but he is the leader. Yet he is serving. So he is putting you a picture of a servant. Sarah is obeying him. The servants are all obeying him. And God has come actually to visit that house. He says, I know he will command his household after his ways, my ways. Yet God will go to another house a little later. There also he receives hospitality. There also everything is given. But that man is not able to command his household. His wife doesn't want to leave. His sons in laws laugh at him. And his daughters go into debauchery. Why? Because there was no leadership there. There's no leadership there. And That's what God is talking about. Two houses God is visiting, and both He came to check. He says, "I know him." He talks about Abraham and about Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, "I've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. The outcry has reached heaven. I'm come to check on them." So God comes to check. At the end of the day, when God comes to check, He's checking two homes. Only two homes He checks. There are only two righteous people on earth. One is Abraham, one is Lot. Both are fathers. He checks one's home. and He says, I like your home. You are good. He checks Lot's home. And he says, all I can do is pull you out of this place. Okay? Pull you out of that place. So we have to look at these things and understand because sometimes we are wasting time on things we shouldn't waste. And spending time on things which you should spend time on. on time. time is for building relationships. That is the time given for. And today, let me ask you this question, and we will go to prayer. Why is social media so powerful today? No, it's because people are alone and lonely. They have no relationships. They are calling out. People who have relationships are not on social media. And if they use social media, they are only using social media to strengthen relationships. But those who are always on social media, if you check them, they have no relationships and they are just crying out. The app has become their friend. The app has become their friend. They have nobody to talk to. They have nobody to talk to. that's what we are talking about. Because, you know, world has changed. World has changed. Today's world is completely different from the world we grew in. (laughs) We all grew up with, we never had apps, we had never had TV. We had friends. We had friends. We played, we fought, we had marks and everything. That was all okay. We forgot, we learned how to live together. How to fight and make up and all today they don't know so if you say anything they will not talk to you for 2 years <laughs> because they have never grown up in a normal kind of a society okay? that's a problem but we never grew up like that we would fight today and by evening it's all forgotten and gone everything Gone, okay. But that's not how today's world is. So we need to get at what God is trying to tell and get our format right. Go back to by like Jeremiah says if I am right, go back to the ancient paths. Go back to the ancient paths, paths. Those things don't change. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Like I said, the first time God says in the Bible, not good, is that he says it is not good for man to be alone, to be lonely. It's not. He said loneliness is not a good thing. It will destroy you. It will make you depressed, it will make you discouraged, it will make you suicidal, it will cause all kinds of problems. It is not good for man to be alone. He didn't say that about any animal. He didn't say about any bird. He didn't say that any of the creation. He only said about man. It is not good for man to be alone. So we have got to go to ancient parts. We have to see what is happening. Because we can substitute religion for relationships and it can be so subtle because all the outward form is there but the heart is missing the heart is missing Father we just thank you Lord we just thank you we just thank you we just thank you Lord this Lord both Gethsemane and Calvary will always stand all eternity Father as those two pointers of your love for us Lord yes Father You sent your son because you loved us. And your son came and died for us because he loved us. Help us never to forget the core, the center of the gospel. God so loved us, unlovable us. There was nothing good about us, Lord, but you still loved us. First and foremost, that's what you look for us. You don't look for obedience. You don't look for sacrifice. You don't look for any of those things. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This morning we come to you. We keep every day acknowledging how short we are of that kind of love, Lord. How we fail so often. And we look back and we realize we fail because we are short of that love. Because you said that love never fails. Yes. It is willing to lay down rights. It's willing to deny self. It's willing. We worry about so many other issues of life. The temporal issues. But you are not vexed by the one thing that really matters. Do I love God with all my heart? With all my soul? With all my mind? With all my strength? Do I love my neighbor as I love myself? the only two questions that really matter in life all the others are irrelevant the last the last two days as we stand here Father you are reminding us again as you reminded Ephesus remember from the height you have fallen They thought they had everything right. But they didn't see the one who walked among the lampstands. The one who had the seven stars in his hand and held the seven spirits whose eyes could see everything through. Through everything. The height from which Ephesus had fallen. Or Sardis. They had forgotten, but you hadn't. How they had begun and what they had heard. God was reminding them to go back and is reminding us to go back to your first love, to your first zeal. If needed, back to the elementary principles of Christ. Go back to the drawing board. Start all over again because you have a reputation, but it is false. Hold fast and build again because your works are not complete and none of us know when that day will come when God will call us home. Touch Lord your people everywhere, all our churches, here, everywhere. Touch everyone, all of us. Help us to return You won't tell us to repent unless you give us the power to repent. You won't tell us to awake unless you waken us up. You will not ask us to do anything that is impossible. It is possible. Help us to go back. Go back. Build relationships again. Back from the scratch if we have to rebuild. Touch everyone, Lord. All who are in the battlefield, let them not forget. Relationships come first. That our prayers, as you said in Peter, are not hindered. Touch Father, touch. Touch the sick. Pastor said, touch him. Brother Keith, Brother Lynn, all on the winter to ice you, wherever they are, touch them. Touch them, Lord. Touch, touch, touch Hannah, touch. They are your servants. Reach out and touch them. You're the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who enables men to pick up their mat and walk so they can complete the works entrusted. We speak that word, Lord, into them. Send forth your word and heal them of their infirmities. Those who are fighting. Give them the strength to continue that fight. Never to quit. Never to draw back. Even if alone like Eliezer to stand. And never quit. Give them the strength, that resilience to stand. and Never ever to give up. Touch Ace, touch Lord, touch MQ, Brad, Chirion. Every one of them who have asked for prayers for those who do not know you but have joined the battle in the Lord's camp I pray you'd open their eyes and their heart that they may hear they may see they may believe in Jesus Jesus that you would deal with their fears to commit That before this day, this month, this year is over, all of them would commit themselves into thy hands. That you would work out salvation in them, O Lord. Deliver them from the hand of the enemy. That they would fear you more than they would fear anything, anybody else. Touch, Lord, touch. Touch our church, Lord. Touch. Touch. Heal the sick. Deliver the oppressed. Let the blindfolds fall off. Let them not go into legalism. Let them not revert to religion. Take those steps of faith every day. That our lives may please you. Touch Noah, touch Aminash as they enter into a new year. Bless these young men, Lord. They are good men. Touch them, bless them. They too wait. They too are alone. But you are a God who makes all things beautiful in your time. In your appointed time. Touch them, make their lives complete, Lord. But it is you who said it is not good for man to be alone. That this year they enter into be a very special year for them both, Lord. Raj and Apu, Lord, touch them. New year. More blessedness. More closeness to one another. And to you. Let nothing hinder their prayers. Let their prayers they pray together be so powerful, Lord. The power of two is greatly multiplied in the kingdom. For if one can put a thousand to flee, two can put 10,000. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. We continue to plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the church. The blood, the blood, the blood, the dopos of our lives, of our homes, every member of our homes, our household, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. The blood that sanctifies, the blood that speaks for us. The blood that purchases our salvation. The blood that defeats every accusation of the enemy. The blood, the blood, the blood. We bind every power of darkness that operates against the body of Christ. We bind you in the name of Jesus. We continue to proclaim God's word. No weapon that is formed against us will prosper every lying tongue that rises against the body of Christ here, everywhere. We condemn it. Every curse, every spell, every witchcraft, every soulish, demonic prayer, we cast it to the ground in the name of Jesus. Sorcery will fail. Sorcerers will fall. But God's people will stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. And I pray, Father, as we move into the last three months of this year, you would baptize us once again with your power and your love, O Lord. With your power, with your love, Father. The power of your love. That we do not fail. We do not fail. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Once again, we stand in your house and we declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.